Hey, good morning, guys. It is Pastor Randy here. Let me put out some music real quick. <laughs> Made Free Church. Hope you guys are having a great morning. I know I am. You know, um, God is good, man. You know, I, I wake up every morning and, and I just get with God because I just yearn for Him daily, right? Right? So, you know, uh, let's get into prayer. Let's get this started. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for all that you do in our lives, Lord. We want to say thank you for your word, our salvation, God. We just want to say thank you for it all. Lord, get me out of the way and let your word go through, Heavenly Father. We love you, we worship you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, a couple of announcements before I get started here. Um, if you guys need prayer, whoops, wrong one. Uh, if you guys need prayer, please go to madefreechurch.org. We have a whole intercessory prayer team that's set up to pray over your prayer request every week. That's madefreechurch.org. There's a prayer request tab. Go there so we can pray for you. Now, we are going to be in Mark 13, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to be talking about what does the Bible say about war? And uh, it's kind of fitting that we're in this kind of uh, thing right now because of the simple fact that Russia just invaded Ukraine, and now Russia's getting their butt kicked, you know, which I think is funny, but let's see what God says about it, right? Um, my notes. All right. So, you know, uh, we're in the middle of a series of a message uh, of a messages titled Politics According to the Bible, and we're examining key key political issues in the light of the Bible. And as we continue this series, I want to examine war, right? What does the Bible say about war and how should we vote regarding the issue of war? You know, war is defined as a state of usually open and declared armed hostile conflict between states or nations, or more generally, a state of hostility, conflict, and antagonism. We're seeing this happen happening with Russia. Russia's trying to take over Ukraine, right? We have China trying to take over Taiwan. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so that's kind of a, a thing that, that what's going on right now. About 30 years ago, a group of academics and historians compiled a start, some startling information. Since 3600 BC, that's before Christ, uh, the world has known only 292 years of peace during this period that is during the past 5600 years there has been 14,351 wars large and small in which 3.64 billion people were killed the value of property were destroyed as equal as the golden belt around the entire world 97.2 miles wide and 30, uh, 33 feet thick. About 25 years ago, a Dutch professor calculated the cost of an enemy soldier's death uh, in, at different epochs of history. Right? He estimated that during the reign of Julius Caesar, to kill an enemy soldier cost less than a dollar. At the time of Napoleon, it was considerably inflated, uh, to more than $2,000. At the end of first the First World War, it had multiplied several times to reach a figure of $17,000. During the Second World War, 
it, it was about $40,000. And the Vietnam War in 1970 to kill one enemy soldier cost the United States $200,000. I would shudder to think what it costs today. Right? Now, these facts and figures, frankly, uh, are more sad than interesting. General William T. Sherman, in his speech in 1880, said, There is many a boy here today who looks on war as all glory, but boys, it's all hell. This appears to be the basics, basis for the quote commonly ascribed to Sherman. War is hell, right? In all of us, but not, not all of us, not, but especially those who have served in war can testify the venacity of Sherman's statement. I've never served in war, so I don't know that to be true. I just know what my brothers and sisters say that I know that have served in war. It's an important issue before us. It's not our view about war, but rather Jesus' view about war. Let us read Mark 13, 1 through 8. I will not be doing an exposition on this text, but I'll refer to it later, okay? And it says this, we're starting in verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what a wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will be thrown down. Signs of the end of the age. And he and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will we, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am here, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And then you will hear of wars and rumor of wars. Do not be alarmed. This must take place, but it will not yet be the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. But these are the beginning of birth pains. Wow, that's deep, man. Deep, deep, deep. I don't really, I don't have to inform you that the present wars are a hot political issue today. What's going on with Ukraine and, and Russia? You know, the military, that is, it, it, our military is engaged in wars in several theaters, and most notably the one that we just fought, which is in Afghanistan. Our brave men and women were constantly in danger, and we, are, and we routinely, routinely hear of casualties. The United States of America has many enemies today. There are many who seek destruction of our country. Some desire our destruction. Others are actively engaged in our destruction. And still others are planning aggression against us in order to destroy us. We face dangers on every side, guys. And so how are we to think about war? I should say that every right-minded person hates war. War is a great evil. Only wicked and perverse people, including Satan, love war. War has caused untold damage to individuals, families, societies, and also 
nations. But again, the issue before us is not our view about war, but rather Jesus' view about war. And I should mention that good and godly Christians are deeply divided about this issue of war. There's various views about it, and it's 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 important to deal the sensitivity with with this issue. So, as we consider politics according to the Bible, let us ex- examine what the Bible says about war. Right? One, and let's use this guide. One, what does the Old Testament say about war? Two, what does the New Testament say about war? Three, what are the different approaches to war? And four. What is the Islamic threat? And I will touch on the Ukraine-Russia thing later on. First, what does the Old Old Testament say about war? Kennedy and Newcomb in their book, And How Would Jesus Vote? are right to note that nowhere in the Bible that, that the Bible say that war is justified. However, it says that it never says it's not justified either. In Genesis 14, 9 through 20, describes the very first war in the Old Testament. The first war in all recorded history took place 2,000 years before Christ was born. And it was a result of some very interesting events in the light of of the current events. Genesis 14, uh, we read that Amphrel, the king of Shinar, together with three allies, invaded Canaan, particularly the land of the plain around the Dead Sea. He attacked a number of cities, including Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, it's very interesting that Genesis 11, 2 records that people built a to- that built the Tower of Babel in the land of Shinar. Do you know where the land of Shinar is? Shinar is the region of Mesopotamia of modern, or modern day Iraq. So the kings attacked Canaan in, 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 in Genesis 14 came from the region as we know it today as Iraq. One wonders if we've come full circle that the, the very first war recorded in history involved the invasion of Israel by the king of Shinar and his alloys and recently we were involved in the same region of that world in a war, right? This was a few years ago. But those early kings made a mistake. History has shown that aggressors often make fatal mistakes. The mistakes of the four kings, they took Lot and his family captive. However, one of Lot's servants managed to escape, ran back to Abram, or Abraham as he's later called, and told him what happened. Abraham took 318 armed men from his household and started after the four kings. Abraham and his men engaged the four kings in the Battle of Dan in modern-day Israel and won a great victory. Abraham divided his troops into two forces and attacked four kings at night, a strategy that has been merited even today. Abraham recorded Lot and his family then pursued the four kings and their forces beyond Damascus, which is our modern-day Syria. Then Abraham started for home with Lot and his family. And they were passing Salem, which became known as Jerusalem. Abraham met was met by Melchizedek, and whose name means king of righteousness. 
Uh, Mechazeldech was the king of Salem. Salem is the same word for shalom, which means peace. And so Mechazeldech was the king of righteousness and peace. Mechazeldech met Abraham and blessed him for his great and righteous victory, vanquishing the aggressors and restoring justice. Right? In the book of Hebrews, Mechazeldech is referred to a type of Christ, right? Interestingly, we read in the statement of Genesis 14:8, and Mechazeldech, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the most of the God Most High. Today, we know as Jesus as as our highest high priest, right? And he and and he used bread and wines as signs and seals of his broken body and his blood and his shed blood for us. Abraham returned uh, from his victorious war and blessed and was blessed by the priest of the God Most High, a type of Christ, right? Who is represented here by the King of Righteousness and Peace. And I think that's very significant. We might think that Abraham, who was chosen by God to fulfill God's redemptive purposes, would not engage in war, but Abraham did engage in war. In fact, knowing that he was called by God to fill redemptive persons undoubtedly strengthened him for the battle. Abraham was not was not commanded by God to wage this war with the four kings. It was left up to his own conscious understanding of justice. It was not his own personal property or household that had been taken. But to correct injustice against another, to release captives and restore property, Abraham put his own life in jeopardy, acted in faith, and won a, a, a divisive uh, victory. See, th there's no doubt that Mechazedek's blessing on Abraham was in fact God's blessing and approval of what he did. Throughout the entire Old Testament, there has been many instances of God's people going to war <coughs> In fact, God frequently ordered his people to engage in war. For example, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the, the Midianites. Afterward, you shall gather your people. So Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against the Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. You shall send a thousand of each tribes of Israel to war. Find that in Numbers uh, 31 verses 1 through 4, Exodus uh, 17, 16, Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 2, and 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 3. You know, author Robert uh, Morey uh, noted that the use of force to overthrow tyranny is blessed and sanctioned by God himself. People have a moral obligation to take whatever action is necessary to fight for the freedom and liberty of all oppressed peoples in the world. And I agree with that. 100%. Right? Let me reread that. The use of force to overthrow tyranny is blessed and sanctioned by God himself. People have a moral obligation to take whatever action is necessary to fight for the freedom and liberty of all the people oppressed of the world. So second, what does the New Testament say about war? 
didn't Jesus, the Prince of Peace, change the Old Testament attitude towards war? Didn't Jesus tell us to be peacemakers? Didn't he tell us uh, not to resist evil? Didn't he tell us to turn the other cheek? Yes, he did. But it's very important to understand that Jesus was addressing his words to individuals and not to governing authorities. Jesus' words are a part of his teaching regarding personal ethics. They are not instruction for governing authorities and, and, and how to govern or approach international relationships. Jesus says, but I say to you, do not risk the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, uh, turn him also the other in Matthew 5.39. But what did Jesus mean? About a year ago, I read a story about a young man who, who fatally stabbed his father and seriously wounded his mother and sister in their home. His other sister woke up to hear screaming in the house. She stepped out of her bathroom and saw her twin sister covered in blood. Should she had offered herself to be stabbed as well? Is that what Jesus meant? No. Clearly, that's not what Jesus meant. It, is, it, it was entirely correct to do what she did. That was to run and lock herself in the bedroom, call the police before she escaped unharmed out of the bedroom window. See, if we are to find out what the governing authorities are to do, we read about it in Romans 13, 1 through 5. And it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is, there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority who resists what God has appointed and those who, uh, who resist will occur judgment. For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but for too bad. Would you, ha you, would, would you have no fear of the one who has authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God and an avenger of who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be of subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience. The entire basis of how the governing authorities are to conduct themselves is justice. The governing authorities have been established by God and it is the responsibility of the governing authorities to assure justice is maintained. Now in our personal lives, Jesus made it very clear that we should be peacemakers in Matthew 5, 9. And we're to live as much as we can at peace with everyone, Mark 9, uh, 9 verse 15. And the Bible teaches this clearly. On the other hand, Jesus also made it clear that he did not approve of war disapprove of war. In Luke 7, when dealing with the Roman centurion, for example, Jesus never told him that it was morally wrong to be a soldier or to leave the military. In fact, Jesus commended him for his faith and he said this in Luke 7, 9, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Now, don't get it twisted, guys. I'm not approving of war. I'm not approving of what's going on uh, in, you know, Russia or the Ukraine. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. 
Jesus never said that the the Rome should disband its military or that it should have no police. Jesus clearly taught that the governing authorities were used uh, to use the sword to punish evil and maintain justice. Jesus also clearly taught wars would continue to the end of time. One of the signs of the end time, we are told, is there to, there shall be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said in Mark 13, 7, and, you, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. So Jesus never denounced war, but always affirmed that it was a reality in the world. So what are the different approaches to war, right? Uh, Christians have taken different approaches uh, to to war. Generally, the four approaches have been suggested, and I don't have time to examine each one in in detail, but I want to mention them. The four approaches is non-resistance, pacifism, just war, and a crusade or a preventive war, right? Each of these four approaches have strength and weaknesses. However, throughout the history of the church has generally supported the just war approach. The just war approach recognizes that war is evil. The point at issue, however, is not whether war is good, but rather war is unavoidable in the case in in all cases and if it's unavoidable whether it can be conducted in a just way there are a number of criteria for for the right to go to war criteria for a just war were first proposed by augustine of hippo and others throughout the ages uh, modified it the criteria of this there must be a proper or legitimate authority that has responsibility for judging whether or whether uh, whether the other criteria are met. War must be the last resort. Negotiation and compromise must have been tried and failed. In so far as possible, a formal declaration of war is required. Since war is a paragrative of the government not individuals, the declaration must come from the highest level of governmental authorities. There must, for there must also be reasonable hope for success. If not, it's generally unreasonable to sacrifice the lives in vain hope. Some think an exception to this criteria is allowable when the evil is confronted is outrageous and the attempt must be made as a protest, even if there is little or no hope for success. Five, there must be some proportionately between uh, the objective hope and the price to achieve it. Six, there must be a just cause. War of aggression is condemned. Only defensive wars are just. The war must be, seven, the war must be fought with the right intention to secure a just and lasting peace, revenge, conquest, Economic gain, ideological superiority must be all renounced. So, as difficult as it always is, one must always ensure the criteria have been met in order to engage in just war. And I believe that the Ukraine is doing just that. They went because they were invaded and that was the last, and they, they tried to negotiate, they tried to reach out, they tried to do everything. But 
Russia invaded. So now they're just to go to war. And and they're they're kicking Russia's butt, which I think is hilarious. Never thought the Ukraine would uh, have so many good people there that they would kick Russia's butt. And I think it's and, and Putin is pissed. You know, Putin Putin is pissed. He's just gone. If the West gets involved, the, the nuclear war will be added to it. All right, let's go. That's my thing. I mean, I'm not saying I, I agree with it, but he's already made the threat. There's no other option. So America has a just right to go to war. Just as the Ukraine did. You know, the threat was made. And this is what we have to understand about just war. I want to talk about the... I want to talk about something that I think is is, is a very still uh, a threat to us. Right? The threat to the American uh, society. And, and, and you haven't heard of it in, 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 a, in about five, six years. But it's the, the, the Islamic threat. Right? Um... Our country, and indeed many nations of the Western world, were engaged in the war with the radical, uh, radical Islamic jihads, right? Um, the goal of Islam is to see every nation under it uh, become Islamic. That is their intention for the United States as well. And I remember talking to a graduate student who was Muslim from overseas say, the goal of Islam is to see a Muslim in the White House and Sharia law as the law of the country. You may be aware that in 2008, Great Britain allowed Sharia law to be used in certain Islamic communities. Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly was the host of a popular Fox show called The O'Reilly Factor, noted that America will sooner or later have defeat the Muslims who hate us or be subjected to the continuous terror of violence. If you think I am overstating uh, things, consider this. Our so-called friends, the Saudis, are paying the families of suicide bombers thousands of dollars for their sacrifice. Right? There is even, there are several Islamic doctrines that make it difficult for us to come to terms with Islamic jihadists. First, there is the concept of, of, of Hudna, right? This allows Islamic leader to make a treaty with non-Muslims with no intention of keeping it. From their perspective, the treaty is temporary. And when the expedient for the jihadists, they, they will break it. And in Islam, this is entirely permissible. Another Islamic doctrine is called Wafq, right? This means that the, the territory that once was Islamic is now forever Islamic. Even non-Muslims, if, if, if they temporarily regain it, that is why Islamic world will not leave Israel alone in, in peace, right? Centuries ago, Muslims controlled Israel. But that changed in 1948 when Israel became a sovereign state. And at Camp David, meeting that coordinated with Bill Clinton, even though Israeli Prime, Prime Minister Ahmed Barak offered Yasser 98% of what Araf wanted the terrorist leader turned it down. Why? Because of the Wafq. The Islamic world will not rest until Israel is destroyed and they have regained control of it. The third, the love of death is prevalent in, in the Islamic doctrine. When the United States engaged in the Cold War with the Soviet Union, the Soviets had a fear of death 
And that, at least in part, kept them from initiating nuclear war. However, Islamic jihadists have no such fear. They love death because it's a distorted understanding of what awaits them in the afterlife. They look at dying for Allah and they also can receive 72 black-eyed virgins in paradise. For these and other reasons, Islam is still a threat to our country and we would do well not to ignore it. Also, I want to touch on Ukraine. Right now, as we see, Putin has already claimed nuclear war if, if the West gets involved, if we get involved. And that's a threat, you know. Uh, but here's the thing. We don't want to go to nuclear war. I don't say, yeah, let's go. I say, yeah, let's go to war and defeat Putin and put him back in his place. If we are the true superpower, we have that just war right. The threat is already there. He's willing to go and shoot nukes at us because we because he that's how bad he wants Ukraine. So, how should a Christian vote on the issue of war? Jesus would certainly understand that war is evil, right? And he would also understand that war is the last resort. Although some Christians might say that Jesus would also oppose all war. I do not believe that he would, right? Uh, Jesus would support a just war but only if as the last resort and absolutely necessary. I believe Christians should vote for a candidate who supports appropriate military engagement in a just war. Right? So, and, uh, you know, what we're going to do on Wednesday is we're going to learn about education. Amen? All right, guys. You know, it's been a pleasure being here with you guys. I'm glad that I got to share with you this just a couple more announcements before I go. Guys, if you guys would like to support Made Free Church in any way, shape, or form, there's three ways to give. You can give through our PayPal link. You can give through our Cash App. And you can send a check or money order to the address that's provided on the website, madefreechurch.org. We are a 501c3, so all of your donations is tax deductible. So please, guys, give, right? Give, give, give to us. And, and make sure that that you give your, um, uh, that you send your, uh, sorry, to send your uh, email address so we can send you a tax deductible receipt. And guys, if you'd like to check out my own personal web and blog site, please go to reformpastor.me. That's reformpastor.me. And uh, if you guys want to check out our podcast, we're all over the podcast, myself, Made Free Church, so go check that out as well. And guys, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you. May God bless your day. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this time, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity that we get to discuss political issues according to you. And what it means, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for our salvation. Bless those who are going to listen and watch, Lord, and bless myself today. We thank you, God, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, you guys have a great day. God bless you guys.